So as uh, U.S. citizens, uh, this little blue book, this passport, uh, is used to uh, get to other countries, or so I'm told, I haven't used mine yet. Um, <laughs> mine is very clean and very pristine because it sits in my drawer and does not get used, unfortunately. Um, but this gets you into other countries. As, as a U.S. citizen, you've got a pretty powerful passport. This will get you into 158 different countries without having to have a special travel visa. Um, it's not the most powerful passport in the world, actually. Uh, Singapore and, and South Korea actually will let you get into 161 countries. So those are the most uh, powerful passports in the world. A third after that would be Germany. But this gets you into a lot of places. It doesn't get you into all places. So if you want to go to China, if you want to go to Russia, I would not suggest that right now. Um, but if you, would, if you want to go to one of those, you're not going to be able just to use your passport. You're going to have to get a visa to be able to, to get into those countries. Some of the least powerful passports, Somalia, Syria, Pakistan, Iraq, Afghanistan, those are going to get you into the least amount of places without special visas. And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about passports, a little bit about citizenship. Uh, we're not going to talk about the political climate much, uh, but we will <laughs> be talking more about the heavenly citizenship that we have, the kingdom of God citizenship. And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to start turning there, uh, as, as we look at what Paul has to say about where we reside, uh, what citizens we are. So when Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, um, he recognized that in this church there were certain passports uh, that they were requiring for them to get in and out of church. Uh, there was this crisis of citizenship, who is a part and who is not a part of the church. There are ethnical, ethnic, racial, political, cultural divisions that are happening between the Jews and between the Gentiles within the church. And what, what, indicated of, what indicated if someone was in or someone was out was this thing of circumcision. That if you were in, you were circumcised. If you were not, you were out. Since the time of Abraham, circumcision had, had been this physical marker of who was a true Israelite. This was the mark that the Gentiles did not have, and the Gentiles were second-class citizens within the church, within the community of God. But the way of the resurrected Christ was disrupting things. Now Jesus comes into the picture and the order of things changes and, and Gentiles are coming into the fellowship and, and there is this argument about who belongs and who does not belong. And this isn't the only issue they're dealing with and, and it's not a light issue. This is an issue of identity, of, of who they are. There's a lot at stake here. The very core of their identities is wrapped up in this issue. And it's not just the Jewish Christians who are uncomfortable in all this. And so we're going to try to demonstrate this with some of our own disruption this morning. Um, this is one of those, oh, Jason's at it again. He's going to make us do something weird. <laughs> really, be prepared. So everybody stand up. The resurrection of Jesus is the most disruptive thing that has ever happened in the history of the world's. And it was shaking them up. Their very identity of who they were is now being questioned. Who is this Jesus and what does it make us do? 
And so to, to accept Jesus, to believe in Jesus, is incredibly disruptive. And there was this division going on through the church of who was in and who was out. And so I would like for everybody to move into these two sections. Really, move. Everybody move into the two side sections. We're going to divide this church right down the middle. And we're all going to, for some of you, you are seeing a part of this church you have never seen before. Like you didn't even know those seats existed over there. It's been three years. At least you've sat in that section, right? So this is disrupting the entire order of things. You will find out if you're in or out in a minute. The, the group that does this most correctly will be the in group, right? All right, everybody find a seat. Scoot in, scoot in. Some of you were, were not having to move much. Some of you had to move drastically. Go ahead and have a seat once you're in that section. This is going to be weird to preach. This is the fullest these sections have been in a long time. This is awesome. This looks like, if you just look like right like this, this is awesome. All right. So we've got this, this disruption that has occurred. Everybody, try to find, help, help them find a seat. Everybody needs a seat. Everybody needs a seat. There's plenty of seats on the front, always. There's always plenty of front seats. All right, so things are disrupted. All right, this side. Uh-oh, which one are you? You are the Gentiles. Okay, so you are the Gentiles. Yeah, don't start laughing yet. I haven't described you yet. All right, so you, you are the Gentiles. You're living in the city of Ephesus. Okay, you are part of the Roman Empire. Empire means that there is an emperor, the one guy that's at the top of everything. And you're all somewhere in this hierarchy of the Roman Empire. Most of you are probably slaves. Some of you are citizens. Some of you bought your citizenship. Many of you are from foreign lands that are being forced to work to be a part of this empire structure. Even the architecture around you is, is designed to make you feel small and to make you feel like you're a part of the empire machine. Because the empire is everything. The Roman Empire existed to make everybody like them. Everywhere that they went to take over, they wanted to be like them. And so there's this quote, it says, Romans understood their civilizing task was precisely the cityfication of the world. They wanted everything to be in cities, and you're in Ephesus, which is one of those cities. For them, the greatest human creation was precisely the city, and their purpose in history was to promote city life throughout their empire. And to promote city life meant that there had to be these entire agricultural and economic and market systems built up on the backs of slaves so that the city could exist and function correctly. And everything in your system here is pointing to this Roman empire and, and the purpose of the empire and the worship of the emperor. This is who you are living in Ephesus as Gentiles. Now for this group over here, you are the Jews. 
And this is a challenging place to be because you are living this scattered existence, this, this uncertain existence. Even those of you who, who might have been living in Jerusalem, it's never been the same since exile. You're still living in this state of uncertainty. You're still living in this state of, of trying to survive as a people of God, trying to maintain your identity, trying to maintain who you are as a people of God. You want to keep your uniqueness when the Romans are all about making everybody the same. You're wanting to maintain your beliefs when the Romans are all about making sure everything is about the emperor. And so you and your children, you're trying to hold on to this for your family. This is important to you that your heritage be held on to at all costs. And anything that gets in the way of, of eating that away and, 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 and mixing in with that is a problem. Because you're living in the same city they're living in. You're living among the Jews. You're, you're living among the Gentiles. And still trying to maintain your Jewishness trying to maintain your identity, trying to maintain your beliefs, and trying to keep your family on track while living among the Gentiles. And this is the existence that is going on here as Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. We've got these two very different groups. One that is very much about assimilating and integrating and making everything homogenous about the empire and the machine of the empire, and the economy of the empire, and the market of the empire, and you exist to maintain being the people of God. How do you coexist? How do you live in the same city? Then, you start hearing these stories about this man named Jesus, who was executed on a cross, was buried and rose from the dead. And now suddenly there is this disruption that starts to happen. Because some of you hear this story, and you live in a city with temples built to the Roman gods, and you hear this story of a God who died for you and rose from the dead, and you start to believe that. The entire city, your entire existence tells you that there is a different reality, but now there's this resurrected Jesus and you believe. How disruptive is that to your family, to your livelihood, to the economic system? As your slaves in households where there is this very firm hierarchy that says this is the way life has to be and suddenly God is coming here through Jesus and saying life can be different. And some of you here about this resurrected Jesus, how he's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and everything that you've been waiting for as a Messiah is now come true. That the Messiah has come, and so you start to believe. But some of you are not believing because you think this is just a Gentile way to muddy things up, to, to lose your Jewishness, to lose your uniqueness, and you start fighting that. That this is just Paul and his, his crazy thoughts, his crazy ideas that really is trying to get us to become more Gentile and less Jewish. And so now among you, what, what fights break out in the family? As you say, I think this, Jew, this, this Jesus guy, he's, he's the real deal. 
He is the Messiah. And so how disrupted is your life as you begin to believe in the resurrected Christ? And as you believe, you start coming into fellowship with one another. But there's still this big chasm between the two of you. Because you're still Gentile and you're still Jew. But you all believe in Jesus. And this is what Paul says to this group. Therefore, remember that you are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body of human hands. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel, and you were foreigners to the covenants and the promise without any hope and without God in the world. You were atheists. You were without God. You were hopeless. You were outsiders. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now for you Jews, how do you hear that response to the Gentiles? What? They're included, really, all the way? And how do you hear it? Like this is a message of hope. We are included. Now we hear, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law that is commands and regulation, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners, you're no longer strangers, but you're all fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. It's not the Roman temples, it's not the Roman construction, it's not the empire, it's not the peace of Rome. It is the cornerstone of Jesus. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. This is the message of, Rome, of Paul to the church in Ephesus. That this thing that has been dividing you doesn't need to divide you any longer. 
that you are one in Christ. Now Paul is offering this appeal of unity between Jewish and Gentile to say come together. And in looking at all of Paul's writings, we see this as a common theme, talking about unity, talking about coming together. Verses 11 and 12 remind us that the Gentiles, reminds them of your former state. This is who you were. You were excluded. You were left out. You were foreigners. You were aliens. And you had no hope. You had no God. But through Christ, everything changes. The entire dynamic is different. You're now included. You're now a part of what God is doing. You now have a new citizenship. Because God has included you. You have a hope. You have a God. And it it isn't that God is just bringing the two together to kind of mesh them up into some mess. God is creating something completely new, completely different, a new humanity. God is bringing the two together and forming something completely different. He's bringing together the body of Christ, the new holy temple in the Lord. It's something completely new. This is the church. This is what it is. And it it becomes the dwelling place where God is living. That we are formed together into this structure with Jesus as the cornerstone. And God dwells among us. There's peace that is available through Christ and when we think about peace, we think about this political peace where, where there's warring nations and, and we want peace between the nations. The Roman Empire's claim was to, to establish a Roman peace, the Pax Romana, that if they were in charge, then there would be peace. If they took over, there would be peace. It is the empire taking over and that would be peace. And Paul is saying that's not where peace is found. Peace is not found in your your Roman hierarchy, is not found in your empire, is not found in your government, is not found in your political system. Peace is not found in your political party. Peace is not found in who your president is or what country you call home. Peace is found through Jesus Christ. He says, this is the new thing. This is what is being formed. Not a country made with boundaries here on earth, but a heavenly kingdom with Jesus on the throne and no one else. Now to live in this city of Ephesus, this Roman empire, and to say Jesus is Lord, how disruptive is that? For us to say Jesus is Lord in our current political climate, in our current social media feed, in in our pundit and and political uh, constant bombardment of what is happening in our world, to say, no, Jesus is Lord, and that's going to define my worldview, not the political party. How disruptive is that to you and your relationships with people around you? 
This is the church. This is the new humanity that Jesus forms. And so we have this new passport. We have this new citizenship. What does this give us? What is included in being a part of the kingdom of God? Verse 14 reminds us that the passport that we have transcends all artificial boundaries and borders. There are no artificial boundaries and borders. It transcends all of that. Christ destroys the walls that divide us. Christ has made both Jews and Gentiles into one group, one new whole. And so Paul could be describing the dividing wall that's in the temple courts where literally there was a five-foot wall that would not allow Gentiles to go any further into the temple, that only the Jews were allowed in there. This is certainly one of the things Paul is talking about, especially since he's probably writing from prison in Rome, and he's in prison because he was accused of taking a Gentile past that wall into the temple. They would have known this as they heard these words of Paul, that he's on trial in front of Caesar because of of him taking a Gentile into the temple. And so now he says the wall is, is torn down. That barrier is destroyed. But there's also other barriers as well. Beyond the physical wall of Jerusalem, there's there's lots that still divides us, both inside and outside of the church. It does for us, it does for Ephesus. Divisions of, of race, of politics, of practices, of doctrines. They cause Christians to look at one another as second class citizens, not really being in, not being a part of the church. Paul says that faith in Christ transcends these artificial boundaries. And so we've got to be bold enough to cross those boundaries, even if it costs us something, even if it makes us uncomfortable in moving around. That we cross those boundaries because the walls are destroyed. Second thing is our passport brings with it a new set of rules. Every country has its own laws, has its own requirements of what it, what it means to be a part of that country. And for us as citizens of the kingdom of God, we've got a set of rules that we follow as well. Paul says that the, that the, the law is abolished with its commandments to create a new humanity. That there is this new thing in place of the two. And so peace can be found not because the two are coming together. That's not what peace is. Peace is is the two being transformed into something completely different. Paul sees that the law is fulfilled in Christ. The death and resurrection of Jesus made peace with all humanity. Peace between God and humanity and between Jews and between Gentiles. And so citizenship in the kingdom of God is marked by faith and obedience to Christ. Not in what we eat, what we wear, or how we worship. It is through Christ alone. Third, our passport gives us direct access to God through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that we have a relationship with God because of Jesus. We now have this direct access. We don't have to go through this priestly structure. Both Jew and Gentile have access to God. 
Jesus not only tears down the barriers between us, but he also tears down the barriers between us and God. And so now our relationship with God is direct. And with that, we've got the fourth thing. The passport calls us into a new mission. Because we no longer have these priests that have to mediate between us and God. We now play that priestly role. We are all priests responsible in God's kingdom to connect others with God. That we have a responsibility to invite others to become a part of the kingdom. The, the Spirit fills us. It empowers us to carry out the mission of God. God's mission of, of reconciling all of humanity. We are all, as believers, a part of that. God's message of restoration. We share that with others in the power of the Spirit. There's, there's no border or no boundary that the Spirit cannot cross. There's no relationship or, or, or dynamic that we are in that the Spirit cannot penetrate and, and get into and make a difference in. So we are called to be missionaries, to join with God in His mission, to bring reconciliation to the world. And so when we embrace our citizenship in the kingdom of God, it's not just for me alone. It's not just something that I hold on to for myself. It's not just insurance of, of being able to go to heaven when I die. It is in the here and now being a part of the kingdom of God and the mission of God. That he is at work in this place. He is at work in this city. He's at work in this neighborhood. He's at work in this world, bringing people back into relationship with him. And we're all called to be a part of that. That when we profess faith in Jesus and declare him as Lord of our lives, we become a part of the priesthood of all the believers. And we become a part of what God is doing whether it's just walking across the street or flying across the world, every day is an opportunity for us to represent God. For us to represent our Lord as we're a part of this kingdom. And so for some of us, is it a time to renew our passports? Is it a time for us to remember that we are a part of something much bigger than ourselves? We're a part of this kingdom of God that completely changes the way we look at life, the way we operate in life, the way we view politics, the way we view our neighbors, the way we view our boss, the way we view our employees is all changed because of our belief in Jesus. And so have we forgotten what country we belong to? Is it time for us to, to renew our oath of citizenship? In a world where, where divisions seem to get deeper and deeper every day, is it time for the church to remember who it is? To remember that we've been given uh, what we've been given in Jesus Christ. That what we have been given far surpasses anything else. And so can we be bold enough can we be brave enough, courageous enough to break down the walls that exist in our world? The things that divide our church, the things that divide our community, the things that divide our country and divide our world? 
Are we bold enough to speak the truth of Christ, the peace of Christ, into to walls of racial and ethnic and social and political divisions that happen even within this church? Are we willing to be bold enough to do that? Are we willing to, to share our lives with others regardless of who they are? Are we willing to share our lives and share the love of God with others, with who we sit with and who we eat with? Are we willing to share life with those that God calls brothers and sisters in the same family? And so nothing better demonstrates this than the table that Jesus invites us to. that he invites us to come and participate in this holy moment of communion. That everybody has a place at this table. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, black or white, American, Mexican, Whatever things this world does to divide us unites us around Jesus. And so every Sunday we come to the table to break bread and to, to drink from the cup to remember what Jesus did to tear down the walls, to tear down the barriers that exist among us. And so when we, when we break that bread, it's not just, oh, thank you, God, for saving me. It's thank you, Jesus, for transforming us into a new humanity. Into something completely different. Not just for myself to be saved, but for all of creation to be restored. And so we come to the table and we, we remember that God has created one new humanity in Jesus. That there are no dividing walls. There is one loaf and there is one cup. There is one communion and we partake of this and we celebrate the reconciliation of all peoples, all ethnicities, all nations, as well as the redemption of creation itself. That's why we take this bread and take this cup every Sunday. We gather around the table each Sunday, and it gives us a foretaste of the future as we look and see what God is doing. We participate in the supper, and we're part of God's mission and are being called, into, being called further into his mission. When we take the bread and we take the cup, we see what God is doing and we see the call on our lives to participate in what he is doing. And so the meal nourishes us. It transforms us into the image of Christ as we participate in this. It empowers us through the Spirit working in each and every one of us and working among us for the mission of God, for the sake of the world. And so we receive Christ to become Christ to the world. And this is why we come to the table.
And so for those of you who are visiting, most Sundays uh, we don't sit all squished to the sides. Most of the time we sit very far apart from one another, scattered around the auditorium. And we pass trays to one another. And communion is this meditative time for us to, to think about us and our relationship with God, which is an important part of our table time. But the image of the table is a community coming together around a table. And this room makes it very difficult to figure out a place to set up a table to do that with this many people. But we want to invite you this Sunday to come to tables. We've got two tables in the back. We've got two tables uh, down front here. And so we want to invite you in this time of communion to come and partake and see who's around the table with you. There's no big conversation that has to happen for you. For you introverts, you don't have to jump out and, and be a part of some, some big thing. But at least smile at one another as you, as you take that. Because this is a reminder of who we are in Christ. That the dividing wall down the middle is gone. That we are a new humanity. We are all one together. There are no boundaries that separate us. And any boundaries that we fill, any inclusion or exclusion, or any exclusion that we fill is, is a man-made thing to divide us. And God comes to unite us. So let's stand together. And I'm going to pray over our, um, our time at the table. And then want to invite you to um, come to one of the tables. Uh, the praise team is going to sing. Uh, after, after the praise team has their time at the table, they'll, they'll sing a song for us. And once you get to the table, you can go back to whatever seat you've been in for the last decade. Um, I know, I know. All right. Let's pray together. Holy God, we thank you for being a God that makes all things new. For giving us Jesus to, to bring us back into a restored relationship with you, for, for restoring all of humanity into relationship with you. God, we thank you for that gift to each of us. And God, as we take this bread and as we, we take this cup, we, we remember what you've done for us through Jesus on the cross. God, as we take this, we, we, we pray that you will nourish us, that you will fill us, that you will empower us to join with you in this mission. To join with you in the call of, of breaking down walls, breaking down barriers, and worshiping you for your glory and your honor. We break this bread, and we take this cup in remembrance of Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.